0: You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message.
1: All right, take your Bible if you would. Turn with me to Philippians chapter number four. Philippians chapter number four, I'm going to read through those scriptures again just because that helps me kind of get in a rhythm a little bit and I always hate to give Brother Bertram my scripture because I know he's going to work out an outline and he's going to pray through that outline and it's going to get all over my sermon. But anyway, he did not do that tonight though he did have an outline and I elbowed my wife in the middle of prayer and said, I told you he was going to do that. But I'm honored to preach tonight and appreciate the opportunity. and. uh he pray for me, I am feeling better. You're saying, what happened to you? I stove my finger the other day. And no, I'm kidding. Pre- preacher keeps saying it's where my Achilles heel, but it's my Achilles tendon. It goes from the calf down to the heel and it's totally ruptured. And um, so I'm in a hard cast until about two and a half more weeks. And then I'll have a walking boot for maybe three months after that. So I'm not real excited about it, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I've got so much I want to do. And I've sat there at at the house. There's only one chair I can sit in where it doesn't hurt. It really doesn't hurt doing this because my mind's on other things. But I'll sit there and get an idea and try to hop out of that chair and run and do it. You know, write down something. Or i got to go visit this person. And then you remember you can't do that. And so God, I told the men last night, kind of had me just slow down a minute, I guess. I guess He's wanting me to learn something. And uh, it's not being easy, to be honest with you. Um, i got to get that Sunday school class up to 200, you know. I just want to do that. Um, There's follow-up visits I want to make. But tonight I want to preach to myself, if that's all right, and let you listen. Because I need what I'm going to preach to you tonight. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 1, don't have to stand. The Bible says, therefore, my brethren, by the way, I wrote in the margin of my Bible, this is the pastor's heart and the pastor's hope for his people. Now, don't let anybody ever lie to you or convince you otherwise. Nobody will ever love you any more than a pastor loves you. He says, my brethren, but look what he calls them, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. In verse number two, there are two women that are mentioned. These are feminine names, and these two are at odds with one another. And the preacher begs them. He admonishes them, just get along with each other. Life is too short. Jesus is coming. There's a work to do. Just get along with each other. In verse number 3, he mentions some, Brother Bertram said, who were serving the Lord. And then we come to verse number 4. And it's like in verse number 4, Paul gives the remedy for these divisions. If you would just do this, you wouldn't fight with one another so much. If you just do this, you wouldn't be at odds so much. If you'd just do this, it'd solve a lot of problems in the local church. And he says, here it is, Rejoice. But don't just rejoice. It's not rejoicing that gives the victory, but what or who you rejoice in. He said, rejoice in the Lord. But wait, he didn't say just rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. That means rejoice and then rejoice again. And then as though the preacher thinks, you know what, they're not going to get it unless I say it twice. He said, and again, I say rejoice. I wrote down in the margin of my Bible, rejoice, rejoice again, And then just keep on rejoicing in the Lord. I want to ask you a question this evening, a couple of questions. Have you praised God more than you've complained lately? What's your first reaction? Let me ask you like this. Have you gloried in Christ or griped over your circumstances more lately? Maybe I could ask it like this. When's the last time that you worshiped? Did you know that sorrow can drain you spiritually just as quickly as sin can? There's something about being under that juniper tree and refusing to get out from under it that can just suck you dry spiritually. Rejoicing in God, worshiping the Lord, joying in Jesus, you find it in the first book of the Bible. But you also find it in the last book of the Bible. In fact, you find it all throughout the Bible. Abraham worshipped God, Genesis 22. Job worshipped God, Job chapter 1. David worshipped God, 2 Samuel 6. The psalmist said, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness four times in Psalm 107. In Psalm 150, they put a capstone on the praise book of the Bible and says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. So let me ask you the question, Have you complained or praised God more lately? Matthew Henry, the Bible commentator, said it's hard to take comfort from former smiles under present frowns. Do you remember the song we used to sing as kids in church? It says, i got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart to stay. Well, I think sometimes as adults we would sing that song and maybe say, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And folks would look at our life and echo back, where? Life is not easy. It's hard. I understand that. We live in a world that's been ravaged by sin. From the day that Adam fell in the garden up till tonight, we're living in a tainted atmosphere and we deal with all the bitter byproducts that sin brings with it. I read an illustration about a man who was standing on a bridge and this man was going to commit suicide and throw himself over the bridge because of the circumstances of his life. A policeman rushed up to the man and said, sir, don't jump, don't jump it, can't be that bad, don't jump. And the man said, you don't know how bad it is. And he said, why don't you tell me a minute how bad it is? And the man began to go through and rehearse his circumstances. He said, my truck broke down. I lost my job. My wife left me. My dog run over. My mother-in-law stayed. Say amen right there. (laughs) But he went through how bad his life was. And when he got done with that, the policeman looked at him and simply said this, let's jump. Now, as a believer, we face constant battles, don't we? Every day and every moment of the day, we battle our flesh. We battle the world around us and we battle a devil who wants to destroy our life. Our world is home to heartache. At times, we find ourselves with little cause to smile because of the circumstances of life. In this world, we're acquainted with disappointment. People disappoint us. Institutions disappoint us. Sometimes we disappoint ourselves. There's not a soul in the building tonight that does not know what it is to experience disappointment. In this world, we know sorrow. We sorrow because of heartache and loss. We sorrow because of pain. We sorrow because of broken relationships. Sometimes we sorrow because of our own bad decisions. We sorrow because of our sin. Likewise, we know what it is to feel pain. I've known what it is to feel pain lately. Every time I move my toes, I feel that pain. We know what it is to feel pain from injury and pain from tragedy and pain physically and pain mentally and pain spiritually and pain from our past and pain from what could be in the future and pain from disobeying God. And what I'm trying to say is all of us alike understand what it is to be disappointed and feel sorrow and to experience pain. And there's an endless list of things in this world that if you and I allow them to, they will totally drain our want to when it comes to worshiping and praising God. 99.9% of the time, my flesh does not, feel like worshiping God. Even as a child of God, I can find myself living up to the circumstances or living up to the statement made by Matthew Henry and find little cause to smile because of the season I find myself in in life. It's like the old hound dog at the general store laying out on the porch just howling all day long. And a man said, what is that dog howling for? And the owner said, he's laying on a burr. And the man said, why doesn't he get off of it? He said, because he'd rather just lay around and howl about it. Can I say, that's so, I'm afraid that's how people are. We're just wired negative. You ever notice that? You listen to the average conversation. You read your average post on social media. You eavesdrop on your neighbor, and it tends to be negative. I mean, we talk like this. It's too hot. I'm too cold. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm bald. I can't get this hair to quit growing right? Uh, It's a dark day. It's a bad hour. It's a tough time. And there are times in life when it just seems like everything's swaying to the negative side of life's spectrum. There's times we fear. There are times we doubt. There are times we struggle. Sometimes the cupboard is bare. The funds run low. Low, the grass loses its green. And it seems like there's little cause to rejoice in life. At times we navigate stormy waters, Sometimes we walk on rough terrain. Sometimes the season is dark and the sun does not seem to shine and it's like that for rich folk and poor folk and young folk and old folk. That's just how life is. Sometimes Job finds himself in the ashes. Sometimes Paul has to spend a few nights in the Mamertine prison. Sometimes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to traverse the fiery furnace. Sometimes Elijah has to seek shelter under the juniper tree and that's just how life is. I think about the old hymn, Living Below, in this old sinful world, hardly a comfort can afford. That's very encouraging, is it not? But here's my message for you tonight. Sorrow is going to come, and trouble is going to come, and disappointment is going to come, and heartache is going to come, and unexpected things are going to come, and rough stretches are going to come. But the Bible command you and I is this, rejoice. Don't just rejoice, but rejoice in the Lord. Don't just do it when you feel like it, but do it all the time. And when you're done rejoicing, rejoice in the Lord again. In Philippians 4, Paul is finishing out this letter to the Philippian Christians. And there's an unmistakable theme throughout this little book. And the theme is this, there is simply joy in being born again. And can I say that if you can't drop your bucket down in the well of your own salvation and draw at least an ounce or two of joy out, you might want to make sure you've got the well and the water to begin with. Can I say if God didn't do anything else for me or anything else for you than to save our soul from hell, we've got reason to rejoice until we see Jesus face to face. Paul is almost like a coach rallying his team at halftime or like a general trying to charge his soldiers to make a final onslaught upon the enemy. And he says, regardless of the circumstances that life might place in your pathway, you and I that are saved can still have joy unspeakable and full of glory. For the child of God, our joy is not contingent upon circumstances. Our joy is not conditioned upon atmosphere. Our joy is not based upon what happens externally. But our joy is steadfast. Our joy is unconditional our joy is constant because our joy is not anchored in that which is temporal our joy is fast and fast in that which is eternal whether in prison or free mountain or valley sunshine or shadow the christian has the ability to have joy regardless of the circumstances our joy is not anchored in things our joy is anchored in a person there is a song in my heart today something I've never had Jesus has taken my sins away and oh say but I'm glad and what Paul is saying whether you're blessed or in bonds you and I as saved individuals can have joy now in chapter 4 verse 4 we find that exclamation point point. and I said it's almost like Paul being the preacher that he was thought they're not listening and I gotta say it twice Some of you wonder, why does he keep saying the same thing over and over again? I'm not going to tell you, but it's because you don't listen. No, I'm just kidding. So Paul makes the statement, and he emphasizes it and says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say, Rejoice. Now, it's almost like Paul is saying this. Paul is saying, Christian, life is going to change and circumstances are going to change and situations are going to change and people are going to change and even churches are going to change and the nation you live in is going to change and if you fasten your existence and you anchor your hope and you fasten your joy in that which is fickle and falling and frail and given to constant change you're going to live a miserable, defeated, unfruitful and unstable Christian life. You say, how can you do it? Paul had been beaten, yet he had joy. Paul had been shipwrecked, and yet he had joy. Paul had been hated and forsaken, and yet he had joy. You say, Paul, how? In the hospital, how can I have joy? In financial fallout, how can I have joy? In tragedy and sorrow, how can I have joy? And I think he would respond and say this, here's what you and I do. You cannot fix your focus. You cannot anchor your existence on that here below. You cannot fasten your happiness, your joy on that which is fleeting and falling and that which will fail. You've got to look above that which is given to change, above that which is given to being different day by day and look above it and see Jesus on his throne. You've got to set your affections on things above you've got to fix your hope on things above you've got to set your vision on things above don't get wrapped up on things that you can't control and let things you can't control control you but wrap yourself up in he which is in control joy on the inside Jesus anchor your joy in him here's what he's saying escort your trouble to Jesus introduce it to Jesus escort your circumstance to Jesus and introduce it to Jesus escort your depression your just your discouragement to jesus and introduce that to jesus and if you're going to stay in that realm of rejoicing and keep your want to to worship god where it's supposed to be according to the word of god you've got to get your eyes off of people places things and get your eyes on the lord and you can rejoice even in a prison cell in sorrow you can rejoice In broken times, you can rejoice. In hardship, you can rejoice. Throughout the day, every day, Paul is saying, remember to rejoice, then rejoice again, then rejoice again, then take another lap and just keep on rejoicing in the Lord. I read a statement that said, man likes to count his troubles, but he doesn't like to count his joys. Isn't that so true? Have you ever listened to the average testimony in the average Baptist church? If you don't have prescription pills, you'll get on them after going through a testimony service. It's the most depressing thing I've ever witnessed in my life. The preacher, so optimistic, will make the mistake thinking his people want to encourage his heart, and he'll get in the pulpit and say, does anybody have a testimony? And somebody will raise a frail, shaking hand and say, pray for me, first thing out of their mouth. I don't feel like being in church. In fact, I think I've got the coronavirus. But anyway, I mean, just... (laughs) Of course, they do this after handshaking time. <laughs> That's not a testimony. Hello? Yep. That doesn't encourage us whatsoever. But you listen to the average person's test, it always leans toward the negative. We emphasize the negative and de emphasize that which is positive. And people come walking into church like a spiritual Eeyore with that black cloud over their head, lightning bolts flashing. I mean, their lip dragging the ground, their shoulders stooped, feet shuffling, singing victory in Jesus like they can't even win a game of checkers. They walk in like they've been sentenced to salvation in house arrest in a mansion on streets of gold. They have to go to uh, live with God as long as God's going to live. They've been sentenced to being saved, doomed to forgiveness, punished to amazing grace, and they're miserable on the march towards Zion. And then they wonder, I don't know why nobody wants to come to my church. I wouldn't want what you have either. It looks terminal, not eternal. I mean, think about it. That's just how we are. B.R. Lakin was talking to a man that was a pessimist, and the pe- he said, how are you doing? And the pessimist said, I'm doing bad because I know I'm going to get worse. <laughs> can I say nobody can steal your joy? but you can give it away. And you and I live in a world that is rampant with joy killers. There's no shortage of events and emotions and experiences that stand at your door ready to rob you, if you'll let it, of your joy. The reason for most Christians being so schizophrenic spiritually, in and out, up and down, on and off, black and white, one day they're on fire, next day they're smoking in the parking lot. Say amen right there. You say, why is that? Because we try to base our existence on happiness and not anchor it in joy. Now you already know this, happiness is based on what happens to me. Here's how we operate and here's why we're so fickle. I got a job. Woo! Sorry, some of you room never heard me shout in church before. <laughs> I got a job. Woo! Oh man, they want me to get there at 6 a.m. I got a car. Hallelujah! Then the first payment comes. I just don't know how I'm going to make this payment. We have a baby. Prayed and prayed for a baby. God's so good. Oh, it's a teenager. You know. (laughs) That was the best hamburger I've ever had. My jeans don't fit. I just don't think I can make it to prayer meeting. It never rains. It won't quit raining. Thank God it's finally sunny. Oh, this sunburn is killing me. Preacher, I can't come to soul winning. I know it's I love my church, but I think I have skin cancer. And we find ourselves overwhelmed because we're anchoring our hope, our existence, our joy in that which is given to change. And the remedy for all this, Paul says, don't just rejoice. That's a waste of time. You've got to rejoice in the right thing. Rejoice in the Lord. For the Christian, it's imperative that remember to rejoice, but also remember who we rejoice in. I thought about this. The world has happy hour. And what that means is they belly up to a bar somewhere and blow their paycheck and get drunk out of their mind and do things they'll regret the next day and say, well, that was happy hour. And they act like it's a good time and pay to do it. And you you and I get joy for free all day long and act miserable. Trials come and heartaches come and trouble comes and disappointment comes, but here's my concern. What do you do when it comes? And I've had to learn this lesson. I can't base my existence on happiness. That is conditional. I've got to anchor my existence in Jesus, and then the joy well can spring up continually. He never changes. I like a rejoicing Christian, don't you? I just like a rejoicing Christian. I enjoy that. Charles Spurgeon said that there's a great medicinal quality to joy. What's he saying? It'll grease your squeeze. Hello, that's good country English, that'll help you. I like it. You say, why do you like it? Because rejoicing Christians aren't bitter all the time. Rejoicing Christians aren't critical about everything that happens. Rejoicing Christians aren't contentious. Rejoicing Christians aren't church splitters. It's hard to be a skeptic and a shouter at the same time. It's hard to be a scorner and a worshiper at the same time. It's hard to be an analyzer and rejoicer at the same time. And if you have something in your life, listen, I'm dealing with this thing. I know it's not that big to you. I'm just a baby, I guess. It bugs me. But here's what I'm saying. If you and I would take whatever it is to Dr. Paul and you go lay down on his couch, because it's 2020 and I know that's what people are supposed to do now. You go lay down on his couch and let him psychiatrically evaluate your life. You know what he's going to prescribe you? you go ahead and tell him your issues and tell him your circumstance and tell him what you're facing. And here's what he's gonna say. I want you to get up every morning and take a shot of rejoicing the Lord. And then about lunchtime, take another shot of rejoicing the Lord. And then before you go to bed at night, you might want to take a double dose of rejoice in the Lord and just keep on rejoicing in the Lord. How many Christians tonight live discouraged and live defeated and live despondent? We're more than conquerors and act like we're limping toward the finish line because we've placed our eyes too low, gotten our eyes off of him and therefore have no joy. If Daniel can rejoice in a lion's den, we can rejoice in a padded pew. If Job can rejoice in the loss of his family, we can rejoice in a church service. If Paul and Silas can rejoice in prison, surely we can rejoice on Sunday night. If Peter can rejoice in being beaten, we can rejoice in the comfort we have in America. If Habakkuk can rejoice in the coming war and famine, we can rejoice in having all of our needs met. It is sad that a hamburger can make us happy and Jesus can't give us joy. Everybody all right? It is sad. That new clothes can make us happy and Jesus can't give us joy. Oh, it is sad that a new truck can make us happy. I don't even know if that's true because I've never been able to experience it. In fact, today we're driving home and Lincoln said, big truck out the window, and said, Daddy's gonna get one of those. And before I even finish, mom says, nope. <laughs> but I don't anchor my joy in her. I'm just kidding at <laughs> You can't tie your joy to what God is doing. You've got to tie your joy to who God is. The Bible says in Psalm 511, But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. I think about Adonai Judson. He was ministering to the Burmese people, and he went and witnessed to a man. And the man got saved, but didn't know Adonai Judson's name. And the man went back to his village, began to tell the people in his village, his, uh, uh, the tribal people there, uh, uh, what happened and who the man was. And they said, what was his name? He didn't know. He just said his face shone with the glory of God. So that tribe just began to name him Mr. Glory Face. I thought about that. And most Christians I know, we could call them Mr. Glory Face. They come walking in like the world is falling apart. Hey, listen, you're still saved. Still on your way to heaven. Name's still written in the Lamb's book of life. And regardless of what's happening on earth, God is still on his throne. God is still worthy of praise. And we can find cause to rejoice in the Lord. Isaiah said, with joy shall you draw waters from the wells of salvation. It is hard to worship and rejoice when our eyes are looking at the world and our eyes aren't fixed upon Jesus. Not, Not just on things that can change. I can't say it enough. Circumstances change and people change and life will change, but Jesus never changes. You know, every aspect of Jesus is enough cause to keep us rejoicing till we see him face to face. You can rejoice in what he's done for you. Never see hell, never taste hell, never touch hell, never experience hell. Yeah, if I was you, I wouldn't be very excited about that either. Filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you have a comforter, you have a God. you have a teacher, one who will illuminate your pathway, one who will show you what the scripture says. Got your name written in a book that can't be erased. Right now, your name's in heaven just as literally as one day you'll be there at the glorified body. Say amen right there. Amen. Mansion on streets of gold. Gave you grace and gave you mercy and gave you love that you didn't deserve. You could rejoice in what he's done. You could rejoice in his words. You could rejoice in his works. You could re- rejoice in his miracles. You could re- rejoice in the messages that he prays. You could rejoice in his name the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He's almighty God, the Alpha and the Omega. He's our advocate, he's the bread of life and the brazen serpent, he's the bridegroom, the Bible said, he's the consolation of Israel and the chief cornerstone, amen. Think about that, he's the day star and the day spring. I can run the whole alphabetical list if you want me to, but he's a good God, he's eternal, amen. He's a powerful God, he's a pure God, but thank God he's a personal God. You ever read Psalm 103? I'm going to turn back there. You can look at it with me if you want to. Let's let's just see something here. I'll I'll be through in just a minute. I was reading back in in the book of Psalms just today. In fact, I'm going to go back to Psalm 95 and work my way up to Psalm 103, and I want you just to see what these psalms start out with. Psalm 195 says this, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with Watch what it says. Thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Why? Why should I do that? Well, number three tells you why. For the Lord is a great God. Can I say there's no God like our God? There's reason to rejoice. And a great king above all God's. Psalm 96 Oh sing unto the Lord a new song sing unto the Lord all the earth sing unto the Lord bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory Can I say it's biblical to extol, lift up and praise the name of God You say but I don't feel like he's been good That's alright cause he's always been God and if he's not been good he's still been God and we just ought to worship him for who he is Psalm ninety-seven: The Lord reigneth; let the earth rejoice; let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Psalm ninety-eight: O oh, sing unto the Lord a new song; why, for He hath done marvelous things psalm 99 the lord reigneth verse number two the lord is great verse number three let them praise thy great and terrible name for it is holy verse number five exalt ye the lord our god and worship at his footstool for he is holy psalm 100 make a joyful i'm feeling better already it's amazing when you quit thinking about yourself and your circumstances, and think about your Savior, how it'll make you smile, and maybe even a shout will squeak out if you're not careful. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise in the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Psalm 101, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. Psalm 102, he says, hear my prayer. Then you read down, verse 17, he will regard the prayer. He rejoices in that. Psalm 103, Watch what it says. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you. Now let me be less spiritual. I'm going to dare you tonight. Go home. Just go home. Don't do it in public because I don't want to ruin your testimony. But go home and read Psalm 103 in a private place. You don't want your wife to hear you, sir. And don't let your husband hear you. Just read. And all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You know what he's doing right there? Rejoicing in the Lord. But you know what he decided to do? I'm going to rejoice again. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And forgetting all his benefits. And you go home and do that. I dare you. That's not spiritual, is it? It's not, but it'll help you. You go home and you just do that. Get in a private place because I don't want you to ruin your testimony. Read it. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. But don't just read it like words on paper. Read it like a love letter to your heart from your God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Let me rejoice in the Lord again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. And before long, you're gonna shout on purpose, and you're gonna quit whispering, and you're gonna say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And then you start naming the benefits. He saved me. He supplies my needs. He sustains me every day. He put food on my table and shoes on my feet and clothes on my back. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. He gave me a house to live in, a bed to sleep in, cars to drive, a place to serve. He gave me a wife and a child. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. He gives me forgiveness every day. Thank God He gives me mercies that are new and fresh every morning. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. He gave me a book to guide me, a spirit to comfort me, a promise of a home in eternity. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I'll never be separated from Him. I'll never go to hell. I'm saved to the earth. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. All that is within me. What problems are you talking about? Yep. I picture a prison cell. I know I'm getting away from the text. I picture a prison cell. Paul is writing in the book of Philippians from a jail cell. He's chained to a soldier. He's taking his hand and you can hear the metal from the chains clink and crack as he runs his pen upon parchment. And he's racing the final fleeting beams of sunlight that would break through prison bars. And he's writing to people, eating at their own table, sleeping in their own bed. Kissing their own family goodnight. Enjoying freedom from bondage. And Paul from bondage writes to those who are free. And Paul from separation from friends and family and fellow laborers writes to those with their family. And he says, I tell you what you ought to do. You ought to rejoice in the Lord. You ought to do it all the time. Now if you read the first three chapters, and I won't preach them because it's time to go. There's a subject in each of the first three chapters that Paul kind of majors on. Chapter 1, he emphasizes his problems. The Bible talks about in Philippians chapter number 1, I'll give you the verse so you can write it down, verse number 12. He says, but I would you should understand, brethren, that the, watch what he says, the things which happened unto me. What do you mean? Like murder plots? Like family disowning you? Like getting robbed and beaten? Left for dead? Yeah. You know what he calls them? The things. You know what Paul learned to do? Rejoice in spite of problems. Paul's not a Monday morning quarterback telling the Philippians how to run the ball having never taken a hit or carried it. Paul had been in the game. He's riding for prison. He says, you're going to have to learn to let, let problems dictate your worship of God. But you better learn to rejoice in the Lord in spite of problems. Can I say, every one of us tonight has problems. Some of you are problems. Say amen right there. No. All of us have problems. But you've got to learn to rejoice in the Lord in spite of it. I read an illustration about it. It had married man night at a revival meeting. And the pastor said, I want every married man that has problems to stand up. And they all stood up but one. And the preacher said, you must not have heard me. I want every married man with problems to stand up. And the man stayed seated. And the preacher said, sir, I see you sitting there. And he said, would you come to the platform because you're an amazing man and an obly? I want you to come to the platform. And the man walked to the platform. He said, sir... You're married. He said, I am. He said, you don't have any problems? He said, no, I do, but she told me I better not stand up. (laughs) Can I tell you that we all have problems? You're welcome. You can take that home and try it out if you want to. In chapter number two, he has to learn, listen to me, to rejoice in spite of people. In chapter number two, in verse number 20, he has a problem. He says, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Paul knew what it was to have people problems. Can I just go ahead and help you with something? Sinners hurt sinners. And even you and I who go to church together, we're around each other enough, we're going to run into each other every once in a while and we're going to have conflict. But you've got to learn to rejoice in the Lord in spite of people. I said a minute ago that nobody can rob your joy, but you can give it away. And I refuse to let somebody who's sideways with me sit on the throne that's reserved for God in my life. And I'm not going to not worship Him because somebody else has a problem. Then, number three, he rejoiced in spite of his past. In chapter number three, we have the famous verse, verse 13 and 14. It says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was not always a preacher, Paul was not always a good Christian, Paul had a past. Don't you think sometimes as Paul laid in bed, he might have dreamed of those moments when he had imprisoned Christians. Maybe sometimes he felt the weight of the coats of those who gave him their coats as they stoned Stephen. Maybe in his mind he heard the screams of mothers as their children were torn from their arms. He had a past. But Paul said, I've had to learn this. I can't look that way. I've got to look this way. Because if I look that way, I won't rejoice like I'm supposed to. But if I look this way, I can press toward the mark. You say, what is that? It's the Lord. You know what he said he finished his course with? Joy. Can I say that if you're saved, your past is just that. It's over. It's it's gone. It's your past. And you don't have to sit on the sideline and ride the pine for Jesus and never say amen or serve or rejoice because of what you were. Thank God it's gone. In Hebrews 11, I've talked about this in in our Sunday school class. In Hebrews 11, there's a whole list of folks we call heroes of the faith, and all of them were sinners. Some of them got drunk. Some of them committed adultery and fornication. Others did other things. But none of that's mentioned, only the good. you know why? Because in chapter number 10, God promised, I'll remember their sin no more. And tonight, if you're saved, can I say God didn't just wipe your slate clean. He took your slate, tore it up, and threw it away. And you've got to learn to rejoice in spite of your past. I see a prison cell. There's a little old man in it. Ugly fella. Stumped over. Poor eyesight. Eating food not fit for rats. Muck up to his kneecaps maybe. And yet he's singing, there's joy unspeakable and full of glory. The half has never yet been told. And even in a prison cell, he was as free as he could be because he rejoiced in the Lord. I want to ask you a question tonight. We're done. Have you complained or praised God more lately? When's the last time you worshipped? Have you griped over your circumstances or gloried in Christ more lately? I promise it will help you.
0: Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treiber.